This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. With just over two weeks to go before the election, the dynamics are changing. Last week, the story was the NDP moving into a solid second place. Well, now, Andrea Horvath's party is surging and basically running neck and neck with the PCs. A new abacus data poll has the New Democrats just one point behind the progressive conservatives, and it has the liberals trailing at 24%. Now, one of the main signs of this shift is that both the liberals and conservatives are taking most of their shots at the NDP, especially hammering that $1.4 billion math mistake uh, that was made in their platform. But does that matter? Want to hear from you? The number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And right now, we go to our experts. Robin Sears is a principal at Earnscliff Strategy and an NDP strategist. Gary Malakovich is an analyst at Forum Research. And John McEtitian is a political consultant, president of Bradgate Research, and a conservative strategist. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Okay, Robin, let's start with you. What's your reaction to this seeming surge? Well, you know, I I was taken from the very beginning when I heard it almost a year ago from some uh, New Democrat friends by the theme that they said was coming out of their focus group work, which was, you don't have to choose between bad and worse. There is a better alternative, which, as you know, they turned into their campaign theme. And I think that's what we're seeing lived out here. People very strongly, more than 80%, still want to change. Uh, I'm afraid that the wheels are kind of getting wobbly on the Ford bus, though, uh, about that as a a place to go for change. Okay. Uh, John McEtitian, what's your take, and what do you think uh, that the Ford campaign has, has to do to stay in the lead? Well, I think that basically they have to stay the course, and I think what we've seen in the last two weeks is the uh, the final death knell of the Liberals in Ontario, and clearly what people are um, going for is, you know, again, they want change, and, uh, you know, our province has two opinions. It has a, you know, moderate-to-right opinion, it has a moderate-to-left opinion. And it will come down to uh, whether or not that's intense or not, and whether or not uh, the NDP can uh, make uh, Ford the boogeyman that uh, they and the Liberals are trying to do. I think the the Liberals are rather desperate in trying to beat him up. They're not going to be successful. But the beneficiary is going to be the NDP. So it will come down to, with the last two weeks, whether or not the trend continues. And then we'll see whether turnout uh, happens for the parties and the big wildcard millennials. Uh, Gary Malakovich, uh, you know, uh, one thing uh, the last few polls definitely show is that the NDP is the party with uh, the mo, the momentum. Uh, what do you see as uh, their possibilities going forward? Can she just surge past the other two? 
Well, I think it's possible that she could surge past the other two. And what we've seen since the beginning of the campaign is that her support is growing. And we know from the past that she has been the most popular leader. We've seen that in forum polls, but polls across the, across the gamut of, of polls taken by many parties. So there's potential for her to grow, certainly, at the expense of the PCs and the Liberals. And, and what do you see for the PCs in terms of their potential? Do they have potential to grow? I think that they have the potential to remain where they were at the beginning of the campaign, and that would be enough for them to win. But they need to be able to stem the tide of the NDP, otherwise we might be seeing the beginnings of a potential NDP government. Okay, and Robin, back to you. Uh, you know, I'm wondering, does platforms, uh, do platforms or, uh, you know, the math, do, do any of those things actually make a difference in this particular campaign? Well, yeah, they do at the margins, I think, Libby. But, I mean, if there's a, a steamroller developing, they, they drop in significance. I mean, I think the big challenge for the Ford campaign, and John knows about this from his own personal involvement in some of these issues before the campaign was launched, is why the heck they didn't do the cleanup properly on those fraudulent candidate nominations, because it's left them vulnerable in a way which they didn't need to be. I mean, uh, Ford could have made a great deal of uh, success, I think, out of saying, that was then, this is now, that was him, this is me, and all of that bad stuff is going to stop under my watch. And he has, by his own admission, perhaps 25 candidates running on his slate who got nominated in very dubious circumstances. That's a huge, huge uh, vulnerability for them, it seems to me, and I and one that I just don't understand why they didn't fix before this began. He, I mean, he's basically said, "Look, look, I've I've just come here. I'm I'm cleaning it up." Uh, there also, what about the issues with some of those NDP candidates, Robin? Well, every every campaign has its, uh, as we inelegantly put it, bozo moments uh, on the part of uh, candidates, and and this one's no different than that. But those are very different circumstances than 25 candidates apparently having been fraudulently nominated. I mean, that at some point, depending on how much proof is able to be revealed by the inquiries, may have may lead to their disqualification as MPPs. Uh, John, what's your response to that? Uh, well, I'm of two minds. Uh, the first is Robin is absolutely uh, right, and I agree with him that uh, there should have been no mess left for Ford to clean up at all. Uh, there was an interim period. We had an interim leader. Uh, Vic Fideli uh, was the one who raised the loudest clarion call and said that there was rot and he was going to fix it. And at the end of his time, uh, he really only uh, altered the outcome in two ridings, leaving like over a dozen to be uh, dealt with by Ford directly. And then on top of that, a couple that uh, like Mississauga Center with Granick, uh, that being a, a further reverberation. And uh, and now these uh, these writings with the 407, which I, I fundamentally don't believe there's going to be much uh, legs to it in the long run. Uh, but in the short run, uh, while there's an investigation, while people are pointing fingers, um, you know, Robin said it, you know, we all have our bozos. And, you know, there's the... There's a couple on Hamilton that are under uh, human rights appeals with their office staff, but that's only a couple. For every riding where there's a problem, it's another riding, and there's a lot on the conservative side currently. 
Uh, Gary, uh, it, you know, these the polls that we've been seeing, you know, measure kind of the big picture. But uh, how how much do the individual races come into play and how can they change the kind of top line numbers that we see? Well, we know that the individual races are the ones that really matter. While we can say that numbers are trending and going in one particular direction, if, if the votes are too concentrated, you're not going to win the seats you need to form a government. And so from the poll that you've referenced, the NDP are solidly second or first in the majority of, of the regional areas of Ontario, which is a really good place to be at this point in the race, because that's where you need to make up ground. They need to gain on both the PCs and the Liberals, and they need to draw votes from the Liberals and the PCs in order to form a government and to win those seats that they need. Uh, And Robin, uh, do you think it's possible that uh, people might be parking a a protest vote with the NDP and saying, uh, oh my goodness, we remember the Ray government, Uh, we're worried about, you know, too left a program and too much spending. Uh, Do you think that there might be a sort of sober second thought? A bit late to be parking, I think, Libby. And in any event, um, you know, old people like me have to be reminded that you had to be at least 50 years of age today to have much actual memory of the Ray government. Uh, that doesn't cover a lot of millennials and even a broader swath than that. So, no, I don't think people even think back to the Harris government very much anymore, frankly, despite the Liberals' efforts in that respect. Now, I think this is a leadership choice campaign. Uh, the 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 voters have demonstrated some bewilderment for a while now by saying they're partisan liberals and they like Andrea Horvath. They uh, hate Kathleen Wynne, but they want to vote liberal. I mean, you know, you can't do that, guys. We we don't have that kind of system. You have to vote for one person. And the person they'll choose, I suspect, is the leader they most approve of. And that seems consistently to have been Andrea for quite a while now. Mm -hmm. It's it's very interesting. And it's kind of a topsy-turvy. I mean, you would think that the two left parties would split that vote and uh, it would be the PCs taking advantage of that. But that's not happening this time around. Well, as I said to the chagrin of some of my Ford colleagues, if they had chosen either of the two women on uh, offer, I think they would be in a secure majority position now. They took the most risky choice, and the risk is not paying off very well, it seems to me. Uh, John, what do you say to that? Um, I'd I'd agree with that, except to come back to uh, what, you know, people need to remember what our political system is, and it is not... um, you know, uh, as, as much as I have a background in research as our other two fellows, the reality is you take these numbers and then you divide by 124. You know, no one in Ontario gets elected by the popular vote. Uh, we heard this after our leadership when people were saying, well, Ford didn't have the popular vote. Well, that's not the system. The same way as this system, which was created on, right? We are going to elect individual MPPs. And in my writing, uh, Hamilton, West, Ancaster, Dundas, uh, we have had for a long time a very popular liberal member, and the uh, we've had a hardworking local uh, conservative candidate, uh, despite some trauma locally, and the NDP candidate, who no one's really heard much from, uh, is, I got to tell you, one of the top campaign that's invigorated and excited right now, it's the NDP based on the provincial numbers, and they're feeling it. They, they feel the defection from the Liberals, but that then makes this seat a three-way race much tighter than the provincial numbers would suggest, because every riding is different when you bring in the local dynamic. 
But John, I think you wouldn't disagree that local dynamics in a sweep environment can make maybe 5% difference on strength or weakness of local candidate. I mean, most of the majority governments elected in Ontario in the last generation have brought in a lot of MPPs on the coattails of a popular leader. I mean, that's just I, the reality. No, I, I agree with you if it's a sweep, but I'm not convinced it's a sweep yet, because I think the two big dynamics we haven't seen yet, there's been virtually no talk of strategic voting. So the question will be, are, have the two left-wing parties convinced people that uh, Ford is a devil? So will the Liberals drop below basically the 24% base they're at now? And if there's another 5 to 10% that move from the Liberals to the NDP, then I think you have that sweep. Otherwise, I think you have a, a fascinating situation where two parties have essentially the same uh, popular vote, but there'll be a majority government. Okay, uh, hang on, guys. Uh, let's take a call from Bernie in Mississauga. Hi, Bernie. How you doing, Libby? Fine. How are you? Good. Being an old CCF or an NDP, I'm very excited about the polls. Uh, I knew there'd be no coordination of uh, Doug Ford in Ontario, and uh, the, the Tories can all trace this back to if they had a moderate center leader like Patrick Brown, they might have had a chance to win this election. I think what they, by sabotaging their, their leader they had for four years, they did themselves in. I think that's what's happened. Andrew Horvat is a tremendous uh, politician, a candidate. She looks good, and I think the people are resonating towards her. Okay, Bernie, thanks for that. Okay, bye, bye. Bye. Okay, I'm going to give the numbers out again because we will be taking uh, some more calls. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And we're talking about this surge by the NDP. And uh, what does it mean? Is this, uh, you know, we're going into uh, the, the last the last laps. Uh, uh, Robin, what do you think that Andrea Horvath has to do to hang on to this? I think the debate is going to be critical. I think that, you know, in these kind of situations where there's a large chunk of voters who've made a fragile commitment on one side or the other, particularly when it's a new commitment for them, uh, they look to things like debate performance very seriously. And uh, Andrea and Kathleen are the most experienced uh, debaters on that stage. Doug Ford is uh, not very good at debating on the strength of his first two performances. And this one will be a very, very serious test of his ability to withstand fire from two directions. Um, I, as I said in a piece for the Star, I hope his debate team are working overtime on helping him understand that this isn't simply sloganeering time. You've got to actually respond to the, the, the temper and the tempo of the debate in order not to be seen to be out of your depth. Um, John, do you agree with that? Because it, it was very weird. I was I was at the last debate, and and to me, it was pretty clear that Andrea Horvath won. But but uh, people said it was Doug Ford, and that's probably based on the small clips that they heard. Yeah, that's always the uh, challenge with debates. It's not uh, the people watch them; it's what they hear the media say about them. So there's that great filter, which uh, still doesn't serve democracy as well as it should and but it's still even there the media only gets to play with what the leaders give them so you know robin's right uh is someone that has a breakout performance or a stellarly underwhelming performance that'll make the election right there but then again debate history is that those moments are very very rare it's it's true uh, do you have a view gary on the debate 
Uh, yeah, I think that the debate can make or break a candidate, like Jonathan was saying, but it needs to be a really big moment. You need either a knockout punch from one of the candidates flying in the lead, or you need a major, major slip-up in order to get any traction with voters whatsoever. Otherwise, they're just going to hear those 10-second clips over and over again. Okay, let's uh, take a couple of calls. William in Toronto, you're on the air. Hi, go ahead. Hi. Uh, the $1.4 billion uh, uh, error in the, in the platform, NDP platform means nothing. The fact that uh, this Horvath immediately admitted it and is willing to fix it means everything. This is a good thing that, that, that she did. As far as Doug Ford is going, I, I wonder what happened to the outspoken, rambunctious Doug Ford that I used to know. He's turned into a sissified, duggy-wuggy 40s, not saying anything. He's just saying, yeah, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and he's not going nowhere. Um, uh, so I throw my uh, support behind Andrea Horvath. She's the only one I trust to fix the health care system that is in bad, bad need of fixing. And um, so uh, I'm going NDP this time. Okay, sissified, them's fighting words. Uh, Joyce in Scarborough. Hello, Joyce. Oh, hi, Libby. Okay, um, now the deficit of $1 billion, uh, where's it going to come from? It's going to come from taxpayers. All the free stuff, there's no free ride. It comes from us. And the only one that talks about, uh, well, Doug talked about balancing, and then after hydro uh, schmazel, um, he said, okay, the second year, like, what what are people thinking? Where is the money? There's no free ride. It's our taxes, and people just don't get it. Anyway, thank you, Libby. Okay, Joyce, thanks for that. Uh, yeah, um, John, um, you know, uh, the Conservatives have not been very specific about platform and money, and all three parties now uh, know that they're going to be in deficit, at least to start. Um is that a is that a good thing to do, or or should should uh, conservatives be giving us more details? Well, I, I think uh, you had all the detail in the world with Patrick Brown and the Ford team decided to go in the completely opposite direction, in part to show that he was new and different from Patrick and try to do uh, some version of uh, you know consultation and come out with uh, you know policies that were his own. Uh, when you actually compare the two platforms, um, you know, most of the things that uh, Ford is standing for in this campaign are actually things that Patrick uh, had announced as part of his larger platform. So I, I'm an advocate of a, a plan written in stone, but uh, that doesn't guarantee you anything. It's really how well do you defend whatever your plan looks like, how uh, vigorous and effective are you at attacking the other campaigns, and does anybody care? And I think that's that third category yeah. that we're really in today. And uh, Robin, uh, I mean, uh, the NDP has said a little bit about uh, the fact that the other parties don't have too much in the way of a platform. Is, is that a, a winning point? I think the thing that one has to always remember about most voters, certainly Canadian voters, is that they're enormously conflicted on this issue. You know, they're in favor of deficit reduction as long as it doesn't cut the program they care about most. That would be wicked. Um, but sort of rolling it together into a general fiscal conservatism 
doesn't really seem to have elected many governments in Canada. I think more important than the speed with which you get out of deficit or how high you run it for how long is how well you are seen to have governed in the areas that people care about most. The caller who said, you know, I care about fixing the health care system doesn't want cuts in the health care system. They want the health care system fixed, and that will probably cost money. Good point. Okay, John in Oshawa. Hello, John. Good afternoon, Libby. Good. Um, my, my, my little analogy is you have three people. They all have credit cards. Now, at the end of the month, they pay that credit card off in full, or do they just pay the minimum? And the minimum is what, or even building it up, is what the uh, NDP and the Liberal candidate are quite prepared to do. The problem with that is it affects not us. It won't affect me. I get a pension. I'm, I'm old enough. And the two fellows that were on before, they get pensions. So it won't affect them. It'll affect grandchildren and way down the road. The third largest expenditure in this province is just carrying the deficit, carrying the debt. That, that's the biggest, third biggest expenditure. Yeah, but what, what makes you, do you believe that uh, the, the Conservatives can just find all these uh, uh, efficiencies to take care of it? You know something? It's, uh, it's whether I believe it or not, I'm willing to give them a chance because in 15 years, the, the Liberals have totally cocked it up. And then before them, I remember Bob Ray, Ray, the Ray government couldn't, they were terrible with money. They did the deal with the devil as well. And, and so am I going to give them a chance? No, I'm not. I'll hold my nose and I will vote for Doug Ford. Okay, uh, thanks for that, John. And I guess uh, our callers do remember the Ray government, though uh, you have to admit they hit headwinds with very bad economy. Okay, Alan Brantford. Hello, Al. Hey, oh, yeah. Listen, I don't know if my memory is serving me exact, but I can't remember the details. But did Andrea Horwath not make a deal with Kathleen Wynne after McGinty left? To uh, keep her in power. Yeah, and they uh, the liberals went back on uh, on the deal. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so she's not doing that again. In the fifteen years that Kathleen Wynne's been in, ninety percent of the jobs in Ontario that've been created have been in either Ottawa or Toronto. Out of those, forty some percent have been government. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. But I haven't checked those numbers. So, uh, what do you say about the election, Al? Al? Okay, I think we lost Al, uh, and uh, we are running out of time. So let's wrap things up. Let's uh, go around and see what our panelists would like to leave us with. Gary Malakovich. Sure, uh, Libby. I don't know who's going to win the election. Um, and I think it's looking more and more like it's going to be a horse race between Andrea Horvath and Doug Ford. I think the question that people are going to be asking is, do people support the policies of Doug Ford? There's a lot of people who say that they disapprove of him, but are they going to vote for him anyway? And there are a lot of people who like Andrea Horvath, but they may not necessarily like her policies. So that, I think, is the, the question that a lot of people are going to be asking. Do you hold your nose and vote Doug Ford, or do you hold your nose and vote Andrea Horvath? And that, I think, is a question that nobody's going to be answering until, nobody's going to be able to answer until June 7th. Okay, John? 
Um, the reality of this race is that despite uh, potential voting pool, the largest group of people voting will remember the NDP and how they were a complete disaster, uh, even though so long, long ago. The uh, $1.4 billion mistake won't give any of them any comfort. And uh, But I think the reality is uh, campaigns matter, and we're going to find out uh, what the impact has been on the last year on each of the parties' political uh, ability to get their vote out, to identify it and get it out. And I think that's where we might see, uh, you know, a small difference, but it could be one, two, three percent in a bunch of ridings that uh, bucks the trend and delivers surprising results on election night. Robin? Libby, I think this campaign, like many, comes down to the question, who's best for me and my family? Who do I believe will work hardest for things I care about? for me and my family. And I'm pretty confident that in that question, uh, Andrea comes out on top. Okay, well, uh, I bet there are going to be a few twist and twists and turns yet before voting day. Thank you so much, Robin Sears, Gary Malakovich, and John Mikatishan. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, Libby. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. We are now going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are switching gears uh, to a topic that we should all be thinking about as we head into the summer. It's not an overly pleasant topic. I'm talking about Lyme disease and how to protect yourself. So we will be right back with that after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.